This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and we are just having uh, an incredible year this year, and thank you everybody for the, the feedback. We're just getting multiple emails every day about um, you know, about how what we're doing is just touching you and impacting you, and we just want to do more of that. So uh, please reach out, john at eternalleadership.com. Shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you, hear about what you want us to be talking about on the podcast, and also tell a friend about what we're doing. Man, we would always appreciate that. And one thing, if you could do, go on iTunes and just hit the subscribe button, and uh, that'll help us just continue to build this audience, this ministry, what we're sharing with the world. And and today I am really excited uh, to introduce you guys to Jay Coughlin. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Now, Jay grew up uh, in Minnesota, so you know you got a special place in my heart. We were comparing notes yesterday. We were out playing in the backyard and throwing some you know rocks in the water, and Jay said he went out for a walk and walked on the water. Of course, the water's frozen, isn't it, Jay? <laughs> it is. It is. It's yeah. It's not a spiritual thing. It's a it's a weather thing. <laughs> <laughs> No, I love here in your bio that you said, you know, you grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood in Philly and a whole bunch of your friends were going to Penn State, but even more were going to the state pen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say our school, our school color was orange. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, guys, what, you know, what we're going to be talking about today, Jay wrote a book called The Five Bold Choices, Rise Above Your Cir- Circumstances, and redefine your life. And, you know, as, as you guys know my story, the last five years have been incredibly challenging, gone through things I, I would not have had the strength to go to without my relationship with Christ. And there's been so many things that have happened in our life. But as I get to work with so many people and hear from people out there around the world, every one of us has been through tremendous adversity. I, I don't think there's, uh, I think that is common. But the the question is, how do we look at this adversity in a way that serves us forward? How do we look at it differently? And, and Jay, you've been through some incredible things. Um, I mean, some high highs, but some really deep valleys. And as you've come through this and learned through this and developed that relationship with Christ, you've, you now really want to go out and, and equip people and help them look at something differently. So I think this is just a conversation that people are going to, you know, really need to listen in, maybe even go back and listen to a second time. And I'd love to just start out, Jay, because you were sharing right before we got started, but just share with people maybe just your whole journey and, and kind of what happened that led led you to what you're doing now. Well, thanks, John. Um, what happened for to me is, um, well, the story begins with, with my dad and mom in town from Philadelphia in visiting me in Minnesota over the holidays, the Christmas holidays. And January 3rd, 1998, my dad and I started the day. We went out to a local hunt club and we had a great time and, and um, we were coming home and we went to a bar and um, I stayed at the bar too long and my dad and I both drank too much. And driving home um, drunk, 
I missed a turn, went down a hill, and I hit a train at 60 miles an hour. And I don't remember much, but I do remember waking up in Hennepin County Trauma Center, and I am a mess, and I am in a lot of pain. And I can see people working on me, and I look up, and I saw my mom, and I saw my wife, and I could see that something was terribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And my mom leaned down to me, and she said, your dad didn't make it. Mm. And I said, what? And she said, your dad didn't make it. And I'm going to tell you, John, you don't know what pain is until you hear something like that. Uh, it, it, the physical pain I was in was irrelevant at that point compared to the emotional pain that I just went into. And I did not have any foundation in any, um, relationship with the Lord at this point in my life. So I described if you don't have a foundation, you can fall pretty far. And I was now falling really, really far and fast. Well, I can just imagine the, the emotions that were going through your head, I, my guess is you were you probably almost felt like you were beyond like even an emotional breaking point, didn't you? I, I was in a point where I was just in so much pain um, that I was, you know, it, I went through a lot of operations. And, um, you know, arguably, I would say I shouldn't even have gotten out of that Jeep as well. If I show you pictures, you could see it's it's amazing that I even made it out. Uh, with that said, I came out in pieces. So you went through a lot of operations, but the pain was I'd be laying in my bed, and at the end of the bed was a clock that I could see, that I could watch the, the second hand going around, and I'd close my eyes, and I would just be tormented, and, and I'd wake up sweating, thinking that hours went by, and maybe, maybe five, six minutes went by. And my wife looked at me, and she said, looked in my eyes, and she said, you know, I, I just saw that there was a darkness there, and, and you were gone, and you weren't coming back. Mm. And priests and pastors are coming into my room trying to help, and I'm kicking them out saying, don't you understand? I'm responsible for my dad's death. I was drinking and driving. And so I was just in a spot where, where I was in a really tormented, ugly spot is the only way I could describe it. And when you, I mean, there's, when you talk to other people who have been in that same spot, you know, with different circumstances, you know, what allowed you to move through that in, in, in just even move forward, even in five minute increments sometimes? Well, the, the, the first thing that happened that was the main, um, the main event that, that changed my life is that a total stranger walked in one day and nobody was in the room with me. And he started to use words like forgiveness and sinner. And I said, look, man, I feel like I'm at the top of the center list. I was drinking and driving. I was responsible for my dad's death. And he said, you say this prayer with me and you'll receive forgiveness. And I said a prayer that I admitted God that was Jesus was my savior and that he died for my sins and that I wanted to live with him from that moment on every day. And, and John, it was like a powerful connection. It was like, it was, it was like a physical thing that happened to me. And, and, and it was like I exhaled all that guilt. And I was just, I, I could just, it was like a, it was like a connection to my soul almost. And then he left and, and I don't know how much time went by, but my wife walked in she goes, I saw a completely different person. I looked at her and said, Hey hon, I just accepted Jesus in my life. And so the, the, the first part of the healing for me was the fact that I now had this new found foundation. I knew had this new relationship with Jesus Christ uh, that I didn't have before. Now, it, it, it didn't mean that I, I was still in a lot of pain, <laughs> but, 
but I could see again and I could feel again. And, and, and it was like, I, you know, the world was opening up to me again. Um, now, that didn't mean my journey from that point wasn't still arduous and challenging and, and so forth. I ended up going to a trial and so forth. Uh, I ended up going to jail, actually. But I'm doing it now with a newfound strength that I didn't have before. And, you know, as you healed through that, um, it sounds like you were in a place, Jay, like when you received that, you were able to, it sounded like you were just able to kind of, you know, let go of some of, you know, that guilt, that shame, or was that a process? You know, for me, it was immediate. It was, it was just, it was, it was that big. I mean, I, I had that forgiveness from God. Now, the other blessings I had too, John, is I, I had forgiveness from my, my mom. I had forgiveness from my brothers and sisters. Mm. So they all came flying in from Philly. And so that was equally as important, you know? Um, so it, it, my healing on the forgiveness part was quick. Um, now I had a lot of other things to get through, but, um, on the forgiveness side, I, I felt pretty secure. Now, I didn't receive forgiveness from the state, which is a whole other part of the story. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, well, you know, as you've gone through, you know, what happened, you know, after this? You, you, you've gone through the surgeries. You're dealing with everything that happened with your family, with your father. You know, what did those next, you know, four, five, six months look like for you, Jay? So I'm, I'm sitting in a, I'm in a wheelchair, and I'm in my driveway, and I'm reading a letter from the state. And it's saying, we're prosecuting you for criminal vehicular homicide, four-year prison sentence. And at that point, my wife and I would, would uh, pack the wheelchair up and went around and saw a bunch of lawyers. And they said the same thing each time. They said, hey, Jay, if, if the stars line up and we do everything right, you won't have to do four years in prison. You'll only have to do two years in jail. And my answer was the same each time. What's plan B? Because that ruins my life. And so my life became this uh, go to work in the morning, try to figure things out. I'm in a trial, working with lawyers. And, and unfortunately, people were trying to help me, but they weren't being realistic. Uh, they would say, hey, you're not going to have to go to jail. It was your dad. Don't worry. And I'm spending time with my lawyers, and I'm understanding what a felony grid is, and I'm trying to figure all this out. And, I, and I'm saying, hey, that's unrealistic hope, that advice, that, that advice you're giving me, that I'm not going to go to jail. I'm going to have to do some jail time here. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to manage through it. And so what happened, John, is I went through this. I'm in this trial, and it took about seven or eight months. And by the way, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yep. This is not you know me spinning this thing. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you close your eyes at night, you're in this nightmare, and, and as soon as you open your eyes in the morning, you're thinking about it. And so what happened is, is this is where I really went to the Bible, and I went to the truth. And I, and I was just meditating in Philippians, and I remember chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where it starts with, don't worry about anything. I'm like, whoa, Lord, whoa, whoa, I'm worried about everything. I'm worried about losing my family, my house, you know, I've got to go to jail. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And if you do this, you experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind understands. And I received peace. In the midst of this craziness, I received peace. And I think the difference was is that I had given my life to the Lord in the hospital, but now I was surrendering my life. I mean, I was like, hey, Lord, this is all about you. I got to give this up to you. I, I'm not this. I'm out of control at this point. 
And the amazing thing that happened, John, is I had peace. And peace allowed me to sleep. Peace allowed me to go fight for my life with my lawyer. Peace allowed me to try to figure out what's going on in my job. You know, the peace allowed me to try to still manage my life, even though um, I was facing some, some pretty big obstacles. Well, I love that you shared that, Jay. And, you know, I think, you know, this whole concept of surrendering, I think a lot of people kind of get stuck around that. And so what did surrendering look like to you? You know, it was it was to that point where I just gave it up, um, you know, and to me it was like, I'm guilty. I'm in a trial. The consequences are dire. Uh, um, Lord, what do you want me to do? What are you going to do with my life? Now, uh, I, I like Nehemiah because when I read the Old Testament, you know, he was somebody that always, you know, prayed and took action, prayed and took action. Mm-hmm. If I make a mistake, I always just take action, and I get ahead of the get ahead of the Lord. So what this was allowing me to do was say pray and take action, and so me surrendering was to say, Lord, I'm giving it up to you. He gave me the peace that I could sleep through this nightmare, literally, so that I didn't have to be up all night worrying, and that allowed me to go in and still try to keep my job, keep my career try to work with my lawyer, try to figure out what my options were, make sure my family was going to be all right, depending on the different alternatives I had. So surrendering allowed me to say, give it up to the Lord, give up those worries. Now let me just go chunk this day and try to figure out how I'm going to get through this. Well, you know, listening to you, it sounds like the way that you embrace surrendering was not a, a passive act. It was actually um, active, wasn't it? It was. It was very active because to me, you know, my, that my relationship uh, was active because I was in such a dire strait. You know, when you're, you have this negative self-talk that can go on. Mine sounded something like this. You know, it was like a spiral that would, would look like a, a toilet, you know, flushing it down a toilet. It started with, hey, if I go to jail for four years, I lose my job. If I lose my job, I lose my house. I lose my house, I lose my wife. Now, my wife was a huge asset for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this was one of those times where better or worse was coming through. And she stayed with me. And we're still married 28 years. But I could take a bad situation, John, and make it worse. I could yeah. pile on with this negative, you know, this negative thoughts. And it was those negative thoughts that take you down that I had to get rid of. I was already in a bad enough situation, right? I didn't need to add to it. And so what, what I, by surrendering, it allowed to say, hey, let's know where the truth was. Let's just deal with the situation as it is. Let's not make it worse. And then let's find out what your options are. Because you always have choices. You always have options. It's just a matter of figuring out where they are. Well, yeah, and I'd love to dive into that because, you know, the book, Five Bold Choices, you know, how to, you know, what was your, you know, as you sat down to write this, um, and you're thinking of somebody like me or somebody who picks up this book and reads it, what, what was your hope that somebody would get out of it after they'd read the, what you've poured into this book? Well, it came about because maybe similar to yourself, I, I, I started to go out and speak about my events mm-hmm. uh, and what happened to me, and I ended up going to jail. And then I ended up having all this great secular success, you know, taking companies public and turnaround. So, so. As I described, there's a lot of CEOs in the world who become convicts. I'm actually a convict that became a CEO. 
<laughs> and so I'm out speaking about it. It's a good it. resume builder, right, Jay? <laughs> I don't recommend going to jail in the midst of your skyrocketing career. That's not a good career path, but <laughs> if you, but I did. <laughs> but in, in trying to humbly speak about it uh, and how it happened to me, whether I was speaking to men's group or business groups, I was always amazed at how many people would come up to me afterwards uh, and really start to open up to me about some really painful things that were going on in their lives. And I think the reason they did, John, was uh, one, they didn't have anywhere else to go. And it was actually mainly men, by the way. Mm -hmm. And two, I don't think, they didn't think I was going to judge them because I just explained how much of an idiot I was and what I went through. And what it led me to is that life has all sorts of challenges and opportunities that demand a response. And I found way too many people just living by default. And, and what I mean by that is, is they're not making decisions, they're procrastinating, and they just become a victim of their circumstances. And, and to me, I'm the worst person to talk about to about becoming a victim of your circumstances because for me, I was not going to be defined by my worst moment. I wanted to be defined by something else. I wanted to be defined as a Christian, as a father, a husband, business person, whatever it was going to be. But I did not want to be defined just as a convict. And so the book really came out as a byproduct of talking to people and sort of amazed that how many people were just letting the circumstances define who they were going to be. Uh, and thus, I, I was always, come on, you, you, you got more options than that. <laughs> you, you got to make some different choices, but you got more options than just, you know, being a victim of that circumstance. Well, think about this, because I, I can totally relate to this. And, you know, you're looking at your, you know, life and everything just feels like it's, you know, like we're not in control, right? We're going to work, we're coming home, we're dealing with health and finances and just the stuff that happens. And so we're kind of always in this mindset is uh, either I feel stuck or I need to fix this, but I don't really know how to develop maybe the new habits that really kind of change the trajectory of where I'm heading. And so how do you help people do that, Jay? Well, some of the choices uh, are, are really where I go. And this first choice I go to is clarity, mm -hmm. uh, having focus. Um, and you just hit on one of the biggest drawbacks to why people don't have clarity and that is because they're busy and what I find is you know when you meet somebody they'll tell you how busy they are you know whether it's something they're doing at work or you know they got kids activities uh, and it's will, almost a badge of honor for a lot of people isn't it it is a badge of honor and it's a disastrous badge of honors I mean mm -hmm. John Wooden the um, UCLA the famous coach at UCLA has a great quote says never confuse activity with achievement and the real question is, are you achieving anything? And if you don't have clarity, you don't have any way to separate the difference between what's important from what's urgent. And, and technology has only made this worse for all of us over the years. So there is a ton of things that are, are, will appear to you as urgent. But if you don't know what's really important to you, um, then everything seems important. And, and what I found is that when I would meet people and I'd say, how you're doing? I don't mean just passing them in the hallway, but you know, you're having lunch or dinner, and you say, how you're doing? And then they give you an answer, and I, and, and I would say, well, how do you know? You know, compared to what? And, and most people are just living comfortably numb, is <laughs> the way I describe it. And for me, uh, by having clarity of where you want to go is the first step in, in trying to getting unstuck. 
for me, John, and I'm going to spend a lot of time on it. For me, it was about goal setting. So I was always a big goal setter and, you know, writing down your goals and doing this, a version of the SMART goals. But it was allowing me to, at any given time to know exactly how I was doing. Well, you know, and, you know, when I went through this process, spending, you know, two years in the hospital and recovering and realizing, like you, Jay, that I had this second chance at life. You know, one of the things I did, actually, uh, uh, a friend, a mentor challenged me to do this uh, because there was a time in my hospital bed when the doctor came in and shared with my wife what was happening. And I was convinced that next weekend was going to be my funeral. And I started mm. thinking about what are they going to be saying? Now, at the front of the church, right, they're all going to say all kinds of, you know, nice things because that's what you do at a funeral. And I was thinking, what are they really going to be saying at the back right. of the church? And you know what? And, and the thing that really struck me, though, and, you know, the accident was five years ago. Um, if I hadn't changed my life and I had died back then and people were getting around saying, hey, do you remember John? I wonder how his wife's doing and kids and man, he was a good guy. And hey, how's business? How's life? You know, mm -hmm. I was like, mm -hmm. what is the life that I left that actually left something in this world that, you know, that's legacy, what you leave in people, you know, mm -hmm. an inheritance is what you leave to people. And I sat down and I wrote my epitaph mm -hmm. and it is very extensive, but I said, okay, what do I want my wife to say? You know, like one of the things I wrote is I want her to feel like the most loved woman in the world. Mm -hmm. I wrote down what I wanted her, you know, to share. And then am I living my life each day, making decisions that support that? And what would I want my kids to say and my best mm -hmm. friends and people that knew me? And, and for me, that, kind of, that started shaping the direction and gave me that true north mm -hmm. um, to guide where I wanted to go. Like you talked about clarity. Because, you know, before that point, everything I was doing was to build kind of my own brand, my reputation, my income, my lifestyle. But it wasn't pointing toward anything meaningful. And I think that's why, for me, leading up to the accident, I was probably in an area of just extreme discontent from the outside. Everything looked great. But I got to tell mm -hmm. you, I, I was not, I was miserable. But, I, but it's because I wasn't connected to anything, I don't believe, that was in alignment with who God created me to be and what he created me to do. Exactly. And that's what I, was I, missing. I, I think, John, you know, most people, unfortunately, a lot of people get their identity by their career mm. and, or their job. And what I find is when I'm, when I'm coaching men um, is to, to is, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad in that unless that's the only thing you have. Mm -hmm. and, and I've been with too many men late in their life where they're breaking down crying in front of me because they've had a great career, great sector, they have a lot of money, but everything else is a mess. And and so for me, it's, it's how do I help you not end up like that, right? And you just hit on it because one of the other things that you need to figure out is how you're going to be defined as a dad. How are you going to be defined as a husband? How are you going to be defined as a friend? How are you going to be defined based on your values? And so there's other ways that you need to think through of how you're going to be defined. Now, for me, the way I describe it to people is I took a company public in 2001, Lawson Software. It was a great, huge success. You know, I can go on and on and on. And then I'll come back to you and I'll say, well, nobody remembers Lawson. I do, but nobody else does. 
So really, at the end of the day, if I had to put all my identity into that, where would I be today? Mm-hmm. I'd rather you meet me and go, hey, there's a one, a Christian, two, that guy, there's a, he's a nice guy, he's a friend. Boy, I have mentored more people. I have more influence by the fact that I've coached and mentored uh, a lot of men. I've got other, I had eight people that are working for me that are running technology companies across the country. Uh, I have a daughter who's, a, who's become a doctor. I have two boys. All those things identify me more than anything associated with being a CEO of a company. I'm proud of what I did as a CEO, John. I'm not saying that's, that, that that's not important. I'm just saying it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. So that clarity. So I, I think you're right. You know, sitting down and actually taking some time and, you know, go through a process and figure out, you know, what it, you know, what is that direction that you want to go to? What does it even look like? You know, a question I ask people often is, you know what, if you could wave a realistic, realistic magic wand and you and I were sitting down for have a conversation just a year from now, mm-hmm. what would you just love to be sharing? And a lot of people, I got to tell you, they, they've never even thought about it, um, right? Because right? it's just another year goes by. So, but once you start getting some clarity, like you talk about, Jay, and I'm moving toward something different. Um, what are kind of the next steps then to, that you have found to help people, you know, start to manifest that? Well, I, I think the the next biggie is what I call accountability. Um, I think when I describe in the book, um, I describe accountability as motivational. Now, <laughs> most people don't view it that way because most people, once I say accountability, they're thinking about, oh, the boss, I've got a, you know, got a report I got to get in by tomorrow. And if I don't, he's going to yell at me or she's going to yell at me. And so most people have a pretty negative outlook of accountability. But for me, I think that we're on a journey and you got to take some people along the way with you. And I think probably the biggest mistake a lot of men make is that they they isolate themselves and they try to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. I, I think some of the worst advice we got growing up was suck it up uh, because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it, it means you're trying to do it on your own. Not only are you isolating yourself, letting Satan attack you, but you're not getting any of the feedback that you really need. And so for me, accountability becomes encouragement. How do I, where, you know, where do you get your encouragement? How do I continuously learn? And in a book, I'll describe with accountability, if I'm, if I'm communicating, John, that you, if, if I tell you that I'm trying to lose 10 pounds, then all of a sudden, when I go to eat that pizza, it's a completely different thing to say, well, I haven't told anybody, I can just go ahead and eat this, right? <laughs> but if I know you're going to ask me about that pizza tomorrow, then it's a different scenario, right? And... And so for me, it, it, it's about you're on a journey. You got to take some people along the way. And if you had success and you had failure, then the question is, well, how do you learn from both? Especially if now you and I, I've told you, and once I get the 10 pounds and I've lost it, you know, all right, there's, there's some success. So, you know, is, do you celebrate? And most of us don't celebrate. We just move on to the next task. And I'm saying, look, life's a marathon, not a sprint. You're going to have to get some energy out of this thing. So you better... Take the time to say, you know, for whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, celebrate. And then on the failure one, which is what most people think about when I say accountability, my attitude is, hey, I failed way more than the average person. I have all sorts of quotes that if you're not failing, you're not trying. But my my issue is, what did I learn from it, right? How did I constantly learn? So whether I failed on a major way or I failed on a minor way, 
or I failed as an individual or with a group, I always did the same exercise. I said, I started with, what did I or what did we do right? When most people make a mistake, they start with what? What did you do wrong? And my attitude is there's tons of learning in what you've done right up to that point. Yeah, and if you focus on what's going wrong, you know what you do, you're also reinforcing some of these limiting beliefs, these um, views that you have of yourself that almost kind of reinforce, yep, I'm not, I'm never really going to succeed at this, or you know what, it, it, it's a downward spiral that is completely unproductive, but most people, including myself, get stuck in that, and yep. it really yep. holds us back. And, and so if you start with what you've done right, you, you, you know, because I'm guaranteeing you've done some things right. The second question I'll ask of the three, there's three of them, is with the value of hindsight, what would you have done differently? Because you now you have more information. You might have different trends. You might have more data. So based on knowing that, what would you do differently? And here's where the learnings really start to happen. And the third question is simply, what are you going to change? Because you might have 10 things you would do differently, but you can only change two of them. And there's your learnings, and there's your change, and go. Now, you grew up in technology the way I did, John. I mean, for me, when I was leading technology companies, I would make a decision. Uh, I knew I could make it faster than most people. I would evaluate the information, even if I made it wrong. I'd make another decision and move on and learn from that and move on again before you made your first decision. And in technology, if I was three decisions ahead of you, good luck with catching up to me. And because I was constantly looking at decisions as a way to continually learn more, how do I learn and get better and better? And if you weren't trying to keep up with me at that pace, if I was three decisions ahead of you, good luck catching up to me at that point. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, something that I do is I look at, you know, failures and successes say what you know what did i do well and i would challenge myself to say what are 10 things i learned from that and i got to tell you the first three or four i could usually write down pretty quickly but then i really really had to dig deep and figure out what were some of the other things but you talked about you know also as part of accountability doing this with others what i have developed which has been huge for me is i have three men who i really respect that are just great believers that are on my personal board of directors, and I've shared with them what my goals are, what I want to be known for, what is my my vision, my purpose, my mission, and I've given them, uh, I've asked them to, anytime you ever want, ask me, is what I'm doing in alignment with that? Am I moving toward that? They can challenge me, and there are also people I can go to and say, you know what, I just, I just tried this, or we just launched this, and man, it didn't work out, and I'm starting to feel some of these thoughts that are holding me back. And I want to sit down and share with you what, you know, what I got out of that, what I learned from that and, and get your perspective. But I, I think when, you know, I enjoy doing it now though, because when you're talking about accountability, because I think when you really get that clarity and there's something, you know, that you've emotionally connected to, right? It's, mm-hmm. there's a reason you're doing it. You know, what you're mm-hmm. doing it in relationship with Christ and in the kingdom and, you know, all these things that, you know, we want to be doing. Um, Then it's, like you said, it becomes almost a fun part of the process because you're being accountable towards something that's really meaningful and fulfilling. And and that has been a big part, I think, of how 
in the last couple of years uh, as I've been able to get back into business and what we're doing now, uh, why we have grown and been on track for, for what we're trying to do. Actually, we're way beyond anything I ever expected to be doing, you know, two years ago when, when we, we started everything. Well, congratulations. And I think you're, you're just reinforcing the point that you need to take some people on the journey with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes, it comes in about encouragement. Uh, it, you know, the reality is, is if you don't have that, how do you, how do you get any kind of encouragement uh, outside of just, you know, some nice platitudes from somebody? But here's an example, John. If I walk by you and we meet in the morning and I say, hey, John, how are you doing? You go, fine. And you say, Jay, how are you doing? And I say, fine. The only thing we've established up to this point is that we're both lying. <laughs> <laughs> because the reality is you, you've got stuff going on in your life right and you know and and you know i'm not talking about just a quick water cooler dialogue i'm talking about you know us maybe meeting for lunch and really find out what's going on and you have to be able to have that dialogue with people about what it is that you really want to do and what are the obstacles that are in the way and that's where it gets real and and I think for you to have those three people to be able to, you're they're helping you. I'm sure you're helping them. Um, that's important. It is important, and I think that you know having those relationships, like you talked about, and I think um, as men, it's kind of hard to. I've seen my my observation is kind of let those walls down and just really be authentic with people and really mm-hmm. share. Maybe not only, hey, this is, you know, I'm really feeling like I really screwed up. I really failed in this uh, Mm -hmm. because of this reason. But even digging into your past and saying, you know, here's, you know, the first place I actually ever felt like this. And here's some things that I'm I'm holding on to. And here's something that's maybe causing some fear, shame, or guilt that's in my past that I've actually even never even shared with anybody. Because until... Um, and this is, you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, healing is kind of an if-then, it's a dependent event. Healing is dependent on you sharing with other people in your life. Exactly. And and, and that's me, a hard one sometimes. There's things it is. That we we it don't is. want to share, right? I, yeah, people come up to me all the time with, you know, you know moral failures, business failures, relationship failures. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. And they don't want to be seen as that person. So once again, right. it's back to what you talked about. Unless you have these conversations, those things in your past are going to continue to define mm-hmm. how you see yourself. Right. And and by having the dialogue, you're trying to stop the failures from happening, right? So it's, it's a catch-22. They don't want to share their soft underbelly because they don't want to act vulnerable because they think, Somebody will take advantage of them or they'll look weak. But it's in reality, by not getting the help, we all have that baggage. We all got that basement that has to be cleaned out. And if you don't get the help to clean it out, I've found all the self-medicating ways are disasters, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's alcohol or pornography or gambling or whatever, you know, drugs, it all leads you to a bad spot if you're trying to manage it on your own. But you got to get through that kind of, of, of baggage that we all have. And I don't know many that can do that on their own. Um, but what I do see by being transparent myself and showing my own vulnerability, it is encouraging that, that men do open up if you're willing to open up. 
Does that make sense in terms of your own experience? I mean, I have people open up to me because I'm sharing with them my transparency and my vulnerability. And then the stigma associated with anything goes away. And I can be in the light. And once I'm in the light, then the, the darkness and Satan doesn't have as much control over me. Well, I got to tell you, I was just do, uh, doing a, a training for a group of 12 very experienced executive coaches and guys in their 50s and 60s. They've all had careers in business like you and I. And as we, uh, in the second day of this training, as we we're really starting to share some areas of just vulnerability. Uh, people in that room shared things that they had never shared with anybody else before. Mm-hmm. And the healing that happened, like instantaneous difference mm-hmm. in these people's demeanor, how they held themselves, what they were going to do. They were excited to go actually have some of the conversations that were kind of follow up on some of these issues that had come to light. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot stress, I think, the importance enough for everybody out there listening to go find at least one person that you can just start having these kind of conversations with. Because it's like carrying around, you know, you see it because you just saw it. And I've seen a bit with men as well. You got like this 50 pound bag of crap on your back that you can't get rid of. And you, you, what you saw is the men getting rid of it. I mean, you're carrying that around every day. That's hard. That's, that's arduous. That's wearing you out. If you can get rid of that and give that up to God and have him, you know, give, have Jesus helping you, you have some accountability partners helping you slash friends. I mean, you are you are lightening that load. That is going to give you an instant you know, jolt of energy and excitement about life. You just got to get rid of that baggage. And, and it's always that catch 22 that you talked about is guys don't want to share. But if you don't share, you're going to be trapped in your own you know, sins on a long basis. So it's critical that they, they open up. It is hard, though, and it's not something they do naturally. Well, and you know what? It's like, you know, when you gain, you know, a couple pounds a year and all of a sudden you look in the mirror like, whoa, I've become my dad. <laughs> right, right, right. I just lost 10 pounds and I'm still heavy. That's a problem. Yeah, so. well, me too. I'm on, yeah, I'm, I'm on the same journey. But you know what? I think that what I've seen, too, the same thing happens emotionally. We have this emotional weight. And we don't even realize that we've packed it on, that we're actually even carrying those 50 pounds. Right. And all of a sudden, somebody, you, 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 you have this awareness that you, what's been holding me back is this baggage that I didn't even have to hold. Because, you know, it talks about, you know, Jesus wants us to be equally yoked with him and walk with him. Mm-hmm. And do you know that two horses or two, you know, oxen that are equally yoked can pull 4.3 times more the weight of a single animal. But if they're unequally yoked, I got two different size horses, they can actually pull less than one animal on its own. And I think that has been absolutely key for me, is how do I get to the place, because, you know, Jesus says, I want to call you friend, and I want you to call me friend. Because, I, I, you know, I share with my friend, you know, my friends, all the master's business. Mm -hmm. And that is the place that I'm, you know, every day working in that relationship to be equally yoked because to get through all this stuff, because once you see this baggage, how do you get rid of it, right? It can be like just what happened to you in the hospital room. It really can happen like that for people. Mm -hmm. And I describe it as when I'm coaching men, it's mainly in the business world. I, I spend time with mainly executive CEOs, and what, when, 
we get into, I, I, you know, and you know this, that testosterone that has built up for the classic CEO over the years, you know, they want to push that baggage further and further away. And you, you know it's there. It's just a matter of me getting through the cracks to find out where it is. But the real goal isn't to just go have them go through pain. The real goal is to alleviate that burden. And if you do, you're going to be a better leader. And then you're not carrying that crap into the house. And if you're taking it home with you, now you're going to you know, doubly impact your situation and make it worse at home. Or worse, when you're bringing some of the stuff from home into work. And lightening that load so that you ha- you know that you can be pulling with all your weight is a process where now I need to make you a better leader at work because I want to make you a better leader at home. If you're a better leader at home, I'll make you a better leader at work. And I'd argue you also got to be you know uh, leading in your community as well. Well, you know, and that uh, and I love that you wrote here. I wish we had time to actually uh, go through everything in the book. You guys need to go get this book and read it. Trust me, but. You know, your third area is on adaptability and that personal change has to precede practical change. And I love for you to talk about that because that's just what we were kind of touching on. But what is that personal change, you know, that you went through, that you coach other people to go through, that really equips them to move forward into this future that they'd really like to create for themselves? Well, a, a big part of it is just awareness, awareness about how much you're going to have to adapt uh, and I'd like to go through an exercise with, you know, it's pretty easy. And I'll just say, in your personal life and and or professional life, how much have you had to change in the last five years? And maybe, you know, as in my case, and certainly in your case, John, health as well. How much have you had to change? Mm-hmm. And and I'll say, oh, and by the way, the, you know, the, the iPad's only been here for about six or seven years. <laughs> So all the craziness that we have with social media has really been an impactful in, in, in the last five years. So how much have you had to change? And it, it really starts to give people an awareness of, of, of their change. And I'll simply add to the question then, I'll go, well, how much do you think you're going to have to change in the next five? Professionally, personally, and in our case, maybe health. Mm-hmm. So it really is the awareness that you have to embrace this change that's coming not fight it, and it doesn't mean you know. I, it doesn't mean you're going to all of a sudden do a whole bunch of things differently, but it's it's that awareness factor that's the starting point. Versus, I you know, I'm just going to you know go through life comfortably numb. I'm not going to think about it, worry about it. No, you're going to have to adapt in the next five years as much as, if not more, than you've just adapted in the last five. And that's really the starting point is just that awareness factor. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I, you know, one of the things. You know, when I'm working with clients too, you know, we're just looking at almost some of the behaviors on, you know, how they show up in certain areas. Because if you think about it, right, our 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 actions are linked to how we're feeling in a certain, like in a moment. And that feeling is, is guided by how we think. Mm-hmm. So think about that. There's always some kind of triggering event, whether it's at home in the marriage or with kids or at work with a coworker in any kind of situation. And that's going to trigger a thought. That thought can be colored by how we view ourselves, our identity, you know, just where we're at. But it leads to a feeling, leads to an action. If people start having that awareness of what are those, because the triggering events are not going to change. Right. But what are, you know, how are we thinking? What, how are we feeling? And then can we actually start having some awareness of what that is that's going to now lead 
to different actions, different behaviors, because those are what our habits are built on. So we can actually focus on changing our habits on what we're doing in our life by kind of that simple exercise that can really have profound results for people. And and I would I would say the more change that you need based on these thinkings and feelings and actions, it goes back to the other choice, the more accountability you're going to need. In other words, if I've got to make a lot of change in my life, I'm going to need more accountability, not less. Uh, well, think about that. Imagine if you identify some of these thoughts and feelings that are really not serving you well, but they're just ingrained. And go into somebody you really trust and say, okay, Jay, I need to work in these areas. Can you help me be accountable and and start making these changes? I want to be able to share this with you as I'm progressing. That That's a big deal. It is a big deal. And people are worried that, hey, if I share with, with John or I share with Jay, they're going to they're gonna think less of me. And my, my answer is, well, one, I'll explain how much, you know, my, all my shortcomings are. I'm not going to think less of it. And I'm not going to judge it. But my real blessing is the fact that I'm here to encourage you. And how do I encourage you? It's not me you coming to me saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm failing. My issue is, okay, even if you are not getting to where you want to be, I'm here to help you encourage you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that encouragement, John, how do you make it? You know, just because you want to try harder? You know, that usually doesn't work. What I found is if i am got somebody on the journey with me, I'll be able to adopt more through your thinking, feeling, and actions based on the fact that I have somebody there helping me. Well, you've said something a couple times, Jay, and I can and I can just feel it coming from you. And I, and I know, uh, without talking to any of your clients, why you are so good at coaching people and why this book is so good. You've said a couple times, coming from a place where there's no judgment. And mm-hmm. I really think that also, as, as you know, men and women, as people out there really trying to serve others, if we can move to that place where we're really operating from a place of humility and unconditional love and not judging others, that opens doorways to how to have these conversations that are meaningful, that they're deep, that are really transformative in people's lives. And mm-hmm. so I really, th- you know, thank you for modeling that throughout this whole conversation. I think that is a skill that every one of us can can work on more in our lives. I agree. I mean, uh, you know, the reality is the Lord humbled me to my knees when when I went through this process. And it's been a blessing for me every day since. Wow. Well, you know, as we, as we wrap up, Jay, just any final thoughts for everybody just who's been, you know, they've been listening to this conversation? I, I just want to be an encouragement to say, you know, what, what I find is that you use the word people feel like they're stuck. Mm. And to me, it's how do you get unstuck? And, and hopefully this dialogue or the book at the end of the day helps you get unstuck. And as you get unstuck, there's an appreciation for life that I want you to have. And that appreciation is made up of three things. One, I want you to be grateful and thankful. Because if you're grateful and thankful, you can't be angry and can't have all the other sins, right? Yeah. But you want to be grateful for, for what you have. I want you to have an awareness of where you are on the journey. Because I'm 58. My journey is different than when I was 28. And it will be different when I'm 78. So an awareness of where you are. And then the third piece of this appreciation is how do you continue to grow and give? How am I continuing to grow mm. and give? And if you got all that, what I want you to do is get unstuck. I want you to appreciate life for everything that it has to offer for you. 
Well, thank you so much for who you are, what you're doing, and how do people get in touch with you, Jay? Learn more about you, you know, build, you know, get a copy of this book. Well, they can go online to Amazon and get the book. It's called Five Bold Choices. They get in touch with me. I have a business called True Balanced, T R U B A L A N C, or you can get in touch with me at J at TrueBalanced.com. And so, all those links, everybody, will be in the uh, the show notes for this episode with Jay. And uh, Jay, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing today. This was just uh, a great conversation, an important conversation. I would encourage everyone to go back and listen to this. Jay, you just shared so many wonderful, you know, value bombs <laughs> that if people <laughs> just take a couple, one or two of these ideas that you heard today and just start applying it regularly, slow down, um, get that clarity, find people to be accountable with, you know, start working in some areas where you can, you know, work on yourself because I really think your inner game determines your, your outer game. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we, and we forget and we don't focus on the inner game enough um, in this world. So, thank you so much for your time, my friend. John, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.